Good afternoon, my name is Scott and I will be your conference operator today. Welcome to Cozen O'Connor Public Strategies Beltway Briefing Series, The Road to the 2018 Midterm Elections. We appreciate you joining us today. This recording will be available after the call at copublicstrategies.com as well as on iTunes and SoundCloud by searching for Cozen O'Connor. Please go ahead. Thank you very much and thanks everybody for uh, joining us today. My name is Blake Rutherford of Cozen O'Connor, and this is our uh, series, The Road to the Midterms 2018. I'm joined, as always, by Mark Alderman, the chairman of Cozen O'Connor Public Strategies, and today by our good friend and colleague, Caitlin Martin of Cozen O'Connor Public Strategies. Uh, we're going we're gonna to talk a little bit today um, about the, some big issues that have developed and the relationship uh, that they may have on on uh, the midterm elections. And then we're going to dive into something we haven't yet talked about uh, in this series, which is um, the uh, state races. Um, and by that, I mean gubernatorial races um, and looking at uh, the relationship that some of those key races uh, may have on, on the Senate, the House, and vice versa. Um, as always, if you have comments or, or questions, um, you know, don't hesitate to, to email us at presidentialanalysis at cozen.com, um, and, um, and, and we certainly love, love to have feedback. Um, Mark, let me, let me start our, our discussion today, um, you know, in the, in the spirit of every one of these calls, the, the world seems to, to be moving uh, at, at light speed in terms of political news. Um, I'm not entirely sure where to begin. I'm going to start with, with the tariff news because I, I really it's the first thing on my mind, but that doesn't mean it, it was necessarily the most significant. Obviously, earlier today, uh, the Supreme Court upheld the president's uh, travel ban 3.0. Uh, but I want to talk about tariffs because it, we have seen that um, the president's tariff policy is beginning to have a real economic impact. Um, we're seeing it in the agriculture sector, which while that covers certainly the entirety of America, um, really has a direct impact on certain commodities that, that flow kind of you know, up and down the Mississippi River Valley um, and in, in the heartland of America, which really went, went pretty, pretty strong for Trump in 2016. And in manufacturing, big news uh, out of Wisconsin uh, yesterday, I believe, that Harley-Davidson um, is looking as a result of, of tariffs to lose more than $100 million. And in order to stave off those losses rather than manufacture motorcycles that they want to ship to Europe, they're just going to move production uh, over to Europe um, and manufacture um, those motorcycles there, which of course means that they would be outsourcing American jobs uh, abroad, one thing that, that the president said he, he wouldn't do. Um, I mean, obviously my first question, Mark, is I know it's you know the end of June, we're nearing the 4th of July holiday. What do you, what do you make of of the potential impact for 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 this kind of 
this kind of issue, um, you know, on the midterms, and I'll sort of back in my, my initial comments with, you know, the, the president has said that this is all about jobs, jobs, jobs. Do, do you sense the electorate's going to make any connection here between the between what the president said he would do and what's actually happening? Well, I do, Blake. Uh, but before I, I even get to that, I want to welcome uh, Caitlin to the conversation here and uh, observe that uh, this is a great upgrade to her side of, of the table there. And I look Thanks, forward, Mark. Caitlin, to hearing your views on on all of the above. But it, in terms of the tariffs, uh, Blake, it, it, I don't get it as a political matter. Set aside for a moment that it also makes no policy sense. I'm not sure that there even is a coherent policy behind it. But whatever the economist might argue, uh, and the president, of course, has Mr. Navarro as, uh, as, as his economist, which is where <laughs> a lot of this incoherence comes from, as a political matter, this is going to hit and hurt in his own backyard, in his own base, as much as anywhere. It's what you just said. Just look at yesterday. Harley-Davidson at one point, I guess it was in the campaign, and then later they came to the White House. They were part of the Trump brand as an American company and jobs and lower taxes and standing up uh, for the national anthem, all of all of that. And now they're moving abroad because of a tariff policy that not only has alienated and, and estranged our most important allies in the world, starting with, with Canada and moving on <clears throat> to Europe, but it it is violating two of what we thought were fundamental rules of the universe, of the political universe. Uh, all politics is local and it's the economy stupid. This is hitting locally and economically right where the president found a base that put him in office and right where the midterms are going to take place. So hard, hard to understand, Caitlin, as a political strategy, let alone an economic program. Yeah, I mean, Caitlin, what, what do you make of that? Because I've, you know, I've been on Twitter pretty, pretty regularly and, and shared a, a similar analysis as Mark. I mean, it just seems politically nonsensical to to do something that really does seem to speak right to your base but in a negative fashion i mean why make it why why make it more difficult for the people or or let me rephrase that why why trump your own economic message you know pardon pardon that one um with with something that that clearly is going to going to hurt people's pocketbooks it just seems 
antithetical to to running to to running a smart political strategy. But you may disagree with me, and so what no, do you think? I, I completely agree, and let me just preface it. I am not here to defend President Donald Trump. <laughs> However, Mark uh, defended him last, last time, so who knows what, what time well, he'll end up taking. I think last time <laughs> I was rooting for the summit meeting to succeed, but that that has now become something that happened in the Eisenhower administration, I think, it's so long ago. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, Caitlin. So, I mean, what do you? I mean, sorry, we didn't, I didn't mean to didn't mean to interrupt you, but I mean, what do you? What do you make of the politics of all this? I, mean, I think the politics are bad. I mean, these farm belt states that came out and voted for Trump in large numbers are the first people that are going to be feeling the impacts of these tariffs. And you know, we we go around town, and and there are several Republican senators on the Hill that are that are really trying to kind of sidebar and, and speak with Trump and, and get him to understand just how badly these tariffs could impact their constituents. And to all, he doesn't seem to be listening. How about the fact that he's down in South Carolina last night at a rally attacking Germany about Germany ripping off the United States, even though BMW is one of the state's largest employers and arguably really revolutionized um, the workforce in that state and, and was a huge economic yeah soon to the state. It makes no sense. Yeah, I mean, Mark, and, and you know, I, I, well, I hate Yeah, that's where I say, uh, and look, I, he got himself elected president, and that speaks to a genius of some sort, that if nothing else, a genius of understanding this moment in American history. But, but it's just not smart. It's just so dumb. It just you just have to wonder if the man even knew where he was and what he was saying. It's one thing to talk about tariffs on milk if you're in South Carolina. That was his big <laughs> issue with Canada, you'll recall. But but how how you stand there and talk to those people about German automobiles is is just a mystery to me. And, and we'll see. We'll see if, well, you know, it, if they remember. You know, and it's funny with his with his attack on cars because you've you've seen a lot of these Trump states. I mean, you make an, an excellent point about BMW, but it's not just BMW. I mean, these are you know auto auto plants from abroad have been huge economic development boons in places like Mississippi. Um, you know, Arkansas has gone after several. Louisiana. Um, I mean, in, in places where it's been difficult to kind of build those those competitive those competitive jobs in in communities that have that have otherwise been abandoned. I mean, I mean, automobile manufacturing is something that that really has has helped people, and it's just it's just interesting. I mean, it's interesting that that's that's the that's the political fight he's picked. Now, it's not so much interesting if you understand. Peter Navarro, somebody whom I've debated on national television, who is as out there on on tariffs from a policy perspective as any any person in America, and he's got a front row seat and Trump's attention on it, um, and and where lies a a kind of discerning and 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 thoughtful economic team would be would have relegated him back to back to the the. The deep sidelines. He's 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 got access to to the Oval Office and he's got the president here. 
it's a weird time economically in, in that regard because, Mark, otherwise, I mean, the public thinks the economy's doing well. I mean, that's that's not really in dispute. I mean, they feel good about the economy. Yeah, and, and the perverse position that uh, we who oppose the president are, are always put in is you, you want the economy to do well. I'm rooting strong for the sure. economy, and a booming stock market is a great thing for America and for us all individually. So I'm not I'm not wishing for a market crash because of the president's tariff policy, but I do think you got a lot of people who are not big fans of this president as a man and as uh, a, an individual, but they're big fans of the economy and they're big fans of their 401k. And, and that has, I think, <laughs> been sort of the safety net under his, his ratings. Uh, in, in fact, his approval rankings have gone up on handling the economy. This tariff thing threatens all of that. And right. you just you just wonder just wonder how it is going to play. Now having said all of that, the Singapore summit was 2 weeks ago and no one remembers. And if yeah. there's a reversal on a trade war with China sometime in July, it'll be ancient history by the midterms at the speed at which politics moves in in the age of Trump. So I'm I'm not going to tell you this morning that that this is it. He has sealed his fate. The midterms are going to be not a blue wave, but a blue tsunami because they might not be because too much is going to happen between now and then. But but for sure, if you were holding a an election in Wisconsin tomorrow, that's exactly where I wanted to go. It would not go well for the president. Yeah, right. I mean, I mean, so I want to tie this back to 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 the states because Trump doubled down on Harley Davidson and Harley Davidson, which is situated in Wisconsin. Um, Paul Ryan is is not running for re-election, but we've got a gubernatorial race there. We've got a Senate race there. Um, and, you know, Trump doubled down. I mean, it, you know, he, he threatened Harley Davidson with severe taxes. Um, you know, he really kind of went after them once they said, look, we're not going to we're not going to be able to to sustain um, these kinds of losses if you keep if you keep these tariffs in place. Um, and again, I go back to not only, a, you know, an iconic brand, um, but a, a big employer, Caitlin, and 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 you know to mark's point i mean this kind of gets you back to all politics is local harley davidson may not be something that that even that a person may purchase as a consumer but it may be their employer right. and um and in that way now you're talking about people's livelihoods you're talking about you know their ability to to feed their family or put their kids through college or the, the, what we like to talk about, the kitchen table issues. Right. Um, and, and I just wanted to get your perspective about about how much you think, you know, th- that sort of thing um, is likely to, 
to relate even to people who are looking at who to vote for for governor or who to vote for, you know, at the local level. I just wanted to get your thoughts. I mean, obviously, Harley-Davidson is an iconic company, and, and the effects are going to be huge in Wisconsin. I will couch this by saying that the Senate race there especially is already a, le a likely dem, so it's yeah. unlikely to impact that race. But I do think for some of these local down-ballot races, you know, Wisconsin's, Wisconsinites come out for those kitchen table issues and really do, um, this, this is going to have a big impact. You know, Mark, we've got it's it's really interesting because as as difficult as as the Senate map is for Democrats, the gubernatorial map is flipped. Um, Republicans right. have a lot of a lot of seats in traditionally swing states that they've got to defend. You've got an open gubernatorial seat in Florida. You've got an open seat in Maine, an open seat in Michigan, an open seat in Nevada, an open seat in Ohio. Scott Walker is on the ballot in in Wisconsin, but not not looking great for him. Um, and then you've got an open seat in New Mexico, uh, whereas on the D side, all they're they're looking at a bunch of really solid solid seats. With only Minnesota um, kind of being that that one, um, you know, Trump state that that is open that a Democrat has held. Um, you know, what do you think about what do you think about that map in the in contrast to what we're seeing in the Senate? Well, couple of things. I think that. Whether this has always been true or not, I think to a degree it has been, but this year more than any that I can ever remember, and it's all a function of Trump, every election is a national election. A school board election is a national election. A mayoral election is a national election. All of those gubernatorial elections are national elections because Trump has put himself and his agenda on the ballot in all of those races. And yes, all politics are local and one issue will matter more in one place than another. We saw that with the Medicaid expansion in Virginia and the state the legislative races. But even that is a Trump issue and with sanctuary cities, with what's happening with the uh, family separation or not at, at the border, I just think that you are going to see people coming out and looking for any channel to express their view of this president on both sides, by the way. I do think we have an intensity advantage on the Democratic side, a considerable one. But if the only place someone can express his, her view of what's happening in this country is in a gubernatorial election or a a school board election, then then that's where it that vote is going to go. So I think it's all the same election. And I do think that the map bodes well for Democrats at, at the gubernatorial level, just as it, it doesn't, as we've said, at, 
at the Senate level, and that will have consequences. The point is that government from local through federal is a continuum. All the policies and the people are interrelated and and entangled. And if a lot of states go blue at the gubernatorial or even state house level, that that will have implications for for 2020 is is most immediately what it will have an implication for. You know, Caitlin, we're we're seeing that. And the New York Times actually has an interesting analysis. Uh, they went they went back and looked at 20 of the most competitive House races in 2018 and measured the share of Democrats voting in primary, voting in the primary versus where they were in 2014. Mm-hmm. And you're seeing just Record huge Democratic uptick. Um, and to Mark's point about the advantage and, and what that looks like um, for Democrats, um, at least as you measure it against 2014, the, the last last midterm cycle, we're seeing an uptick for Democrats. But one thing that, that I keep coming back to, and this is going to kind of lead us to a discussion about, about Pennsylvania, is immigration. And it, it, you've seen kind of the ebb, I mean, really the political ebb and flow with with what's going on with the separation of families and and how the Trump administration is treating, you know, what they allege to be a border crisis, and then, um, and and then the response uh, to that, all the way up to the Supreme Court's decision earlier today to uphold the Trump travel ban 3.0 mm-hmm. on the third third try is a charm. Um, what do you? I mean, what do you sense? Because the president does seem to kind of be doubling down on immigration. I mean, it seems that strategically... The of Republican leadership in right. Congress. And that's not an issue. That yeah, that's what I want to come back to is, is just to sort of... I want your perspective on on the president's strategic approach to immigration as a political strategy um, and, and what you're hearing kind of up and around on the Hill from Republicans. So we did see, like I just said, Republican leadership, this is not an issue that they wanted to make an election year issue. They wanted to kind of punt this post-November as far as dealing with the comprehensive immigration overhaul. I don't think anyone, everyone agrees that our immigration system is fundamentally broken. Um, But but with uh, the moderate groups of Republicans in the House pushing for a discharge petition, which I believe was just three votes short of forcing a series of votes on the House floor on some of these immigration measures that are out, Speaker Ryan stepped in and and kind of came up with a compromise measure. We had a vote on Friday on the more conservative um, version of immigration reform that failed pretty significantly. Uh, They were supposed to vote yesterday on more of a more moderate bill that had some border wall funding, had a verify requirement for businesses, um, dealt a little bit with the, the family separation issue, and and would have would have, um, but th- there were also some some more conservative controversial provisions. They had to punt the vote. I haven't seen as of this morning whether or not they're going to be moving forward on, on the vote for that compromise measure today or this week. But I think the Republican Party certainly put themselves in in a, in a bit of a precarious position with this and the images of families being separated at the border. This is this is horrible and. We have seen with this issue more than others in the past, senior statesmen and Republican senators coming and speaking out against this. And and 
I don't, I don't know, because the same week we had these images on the news, we had President Trump, Gallup came out with his, his best um, approval rating, 45%, his highest approval rating on Gallup, the same week that we're seeing these images from the border. So to be perfectly honest, I don't quite know what to make of it. Yeah, and then his approval rating fell four points, right. um, which, which most people attribute to the, for the first time, you know, Trump's rhetoric was, and his and his policy was overshadowed by images, mm-hmm. um, and and you can't understate how powerful that can be in in politics and and in life. Mark, I, in Pennsylvania, a state you you obviously know incredibly well. Um, we've got a Senate race between the incumbent Democrat Bob Casey and Representative on the Republican side, Representative Lou Barletta. Um, who is very pro-Trump and, and an immigration hardliner. Um, he caught, Representative Barletta caught a little bit of heat um, for what what I'll describe as, as kind of a very, you know, very kind of ardent support for the president's um, separation policy. Um, but immigration is, is the issue Trump wants front and center, as, as Caitlin pointed out to the to the dismay of establishment Republicans, he wants it front and center. I mean, what do you make of what do you make of that in the context of, of the Senate race? And then we can elaborate on what relationship yeah. and any might have to the Pennsylvania governor's race, which Governor Tom Wolf, the Democrat, is also on the ballot. Well, uh, again, I I'm not sure how much political sense all of this makes, but I, I keep caveating everything I say with the fact that the man got himself elected president of the United States. I think that the extreme immigration measures that the Trump administration has recently taken may well work with his base. They This may be a winning issue for him with the 35 maybe 40% of the electorate that is his base. And he he gets that way better than I do. Who am I to question whether this is firing up those, those folks politically? What I do know it is not doing is helping him in the suburban counties around Philadelphia, especially with women, many... Republicans voted with Trump uh, reluctantly. Many Republicans have stood by him even more reluctantly as the administration has has unfolded. But this is the issue where anecdotally, I can tell you, I have talked to a handful of people who have finally broken with the president over this family separation. And and I don't think they're going back. Now, I keep saying it's a long, long time till November. But I've talked to a handful of people who who have said this is the line in the sand. I, I can no longer I can no longer stand by this president because of the policies and programs that I support that that he has implemented, notwithstanding all the rest, this is a, a bridge too far. And and I think coming back to the Barletta 
KC race. Uh, I don't I don't think it's going to help Barletta against Bob Casey. I think the base was there beforehand. They'll be fired up. They'll come out. But Bob Casey is a guy who I think, especially given this family separation line in the sand, is going to remain a good distance ahead of Barletta through November. Taylor, I'm going to want to get your thoughts because the the there seems to be this building narrative that 20, 2018, not seems to be, I think mean, there is a, there is a narrative and we'll see how, how much it continues to build. That's a better way to say it, I think, um, about the the role of suburban women in the 2018 midterms and, and sort of the role of women generally. We're seeing a ton of female candidates um, who ran in primaries, many won and many seem poised to to head to Congress, including in Pennsylvania, for remarkably the first time. Um, not sorry, the first time, but the, the, will disrupt a, an all-male delegation. Um, we, we don't have our intern fact checker with us, <laughs> with us here today to, to throw paper at me. But but Mark makes the point that 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 among suburban women, you know, this may be the thing: mothers seeing children separated from. From, from their own mothers and families. This may really be the thing that finally says, you know, to, to, to borrow from, from Mark, you know, a bridge too far. Um, what do you sense, you know, A, do you sense that there is, there is kind of that, that current building, that this, that this issue may be different than, than all the rest? Um, and why do you think that might be? Or, or if you disagree, why, you know, why is that the case? I do think, I think that this issue has, they refer to kind of the soccer, we refer to the suburban soccer moms as, as, a, as a demographic that, that is at play in this election. And I know Axios came out with an interesting um, article this week referring them in this election. They're more of the, the never Hillary independents. Mm-hmm. This is the group that, that came out and, you know, it was, it was anyone but Hillary, so maybe they considered Trump when they wouldn't have usually considered a candidate like that. It was the only choice they had. Uh, It was the only choice they had. I certainly think that that a lot of this demographic is, is, I think that they've already, a lot of this demographic has already begun to shift away from him, but this this has solidified. My, My hesitation, though, is Trump's not on the ballot. You know, I don't know if that really is going to impact. If they've got incumbent senators that they like, that they feel like have been doing a good job for their state or their local representatives, I'm not quite sure, especially with so many Republican members speaking out about what we've been seeing over the past two weeks, if if this is going to translate as much in some of the House and Senate races. That's what I'm not sure about. Yeah, I mean, because to, I mean, to your point, certainly, I mean, you, we've seen, we've seen Republican We've seen Republican incumbents navigate tricky territory. I mean, Mark, you know, Pat Toomey did it in, in 2016 with Trump on the ballot. Um, well, and, and it is. He's breaking. I'm sorry, go ahead. President. Toomey is breaking hard and strong, breaking with Trump on these tariffs. That, that's right. You know, you, yeah, I mean, and you're, you can say that uh, ripping children from their mother's arms didn't move him, but putting a 
a tariff on aluminum really got to his core. And I think there's some truth to that. But however it happened, he, he is standing up uh, loudly against the president on on this. And, and I, I do think I'm in agreement, Caitlin, with, with what you said about the impact that this issue will have where there is a skillful, popular incumbent. Pat Toomey, of course, isn't on the ballot, but a, but a lot of Republicans obviously are. What I was really saying and where I think it's going to really matter is all these candidates like Lou Barletta, whose, whose campaign message is, I was Trump before Trump. I, right. I, I don't think this is helping them, is my point. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean, I think that, you know, <laughs> either time will tell or, or the next time we're together, we'll be talking about something else entirely, um, which, is, which is what makes analysis of, of this stuff um, difficult because it's just an unconventional time. The, the one or two of these things would define the entire election and every, every candidate, DNR, would, would be answering questions about it all day long, but they may answer you know, for, for four or five days, and then it's on to something else. Um, and so, so, you know, who knows? I mean, I think that's, that's what makes both these times um, interesting and exhausting uh, altogether, but we'll keep talking about them. Um, yeah. We've really reached I, the – I'm sorry, Mark, I want to let you weigh in. I just wanted to say that uh, I, I do think that's exactly right, that – we we will be talking about something else next time and then something different yet again the time after that, right right until November. But I I do think we will always be talking about Trump because what what has happened is he has come to dominate the political discourse, really the the conversation altogether in this country in a way that is unprecedented for a long, long time in our history. And and in that way, you know, we're always saying he's a symptom and not a cause. And his election, I believe, was a symptom. And much of what we are experiencing was was embedded in our politics and in our society the day before he was elected will still be there the day after he leaves office but he is a cause of this phenomenon he is himself the cause of the phenomenon where the the conversation cycle is measured in days if not hours Hours. and and that just makes looking ahead really tricky. The one certainty being that whatever it is we are talking about, it will involve Donald Trump. Yeah, no, uh, that's there 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 seems to be uh full full agreement uh full agreement among among everyone that 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 he has he has managed to which seems to be sort of his his modus operandi in, in the private sector. He just has a a really unique ability to suck up all the oxygen, um, and and it does make it make it difficult for for anyone to consider anything outside the context of of him. So you know, as we continue to dive into these local races, 
um, you know, we, we will begin to see and we'll start to get some data on the relationship between Trump and and the electorate um, down down the ballot and certainly, you know, in some of these key Senate and gubernatorial races, too. Caitlin, I want to I want to wrap up with you. We're coming to the to the end of our time. Um, you know, traditionally, you, you kind of think the people check out, at, you know, between the Fourth of July and and um, and and Labor Day. Uh, we certainly know that 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 our, our colleague Mark Alderman begins to begins to check out not not many weeks after after celebrating celebrating on on the fourth. Um, well, really I'm, I'm, not wait, to... I'm not waiting that long. Like, oh, are, are you not? It, it keeps getting longer and longer. I haven't yeah. been here. I haven't been well, here that long, but I feel like it. It just it yeah, gets extended every year. Look, this Trump guy's making me crazy. Yeah, sure, I, sure. I, I get it. I get it. Um, and but but Kaylin, it, it really doesn't seem like we're we're slowing down at all. Do you sense that that anybody that the media, Trump. Um, you know, any anybody Republicans, Democrats, anybody takes their foot off the gas between between now and, and the end of the summer? No, absolutely not. It's been um, probably one of the the more whirlwind uh, summers that we've had here in years. And look, we've got um, Majority Leader we've got Leader McConnell saying that August recess, which is a traditional time, especially in a big election year, that members go home for the month and they campaign and they do constituent meetings. Great time to get out of town here uh, in D.C. And, and he's he's canceled much of August recess. And it's not going to slow down. And I think that I worry a bit about fatigue and about voters getting <clears throat> fatigued by all this constant news. And I, I, I feel like some of the bigger issues aren't breaking through because We've got this 24-7 media cycle, and it feels a little bit like it's all chaos all the time. And, and like Mark mentioned earlier, what is that? What are we going to be talking about a month before the election? And, and are voters just going to be so fatigued by all this that they're not thinking back to the events of the past year? But, no, it certainly does not seem like it's slowing down. I think everyone's going to be exhausted by the time this um, Trump's <laughs> four years are up. And yes, it's, it's not slowing down as far as I can tell. Well, it, it has been um, a, a pleasure, Mark, to, to be with you as always. Caitlin, standing invitation to you join us anytime. Um, I certainly enjoyed enjoyed having you. I want to thank everybody um, who who's listening to this uh, either either live or, or later on by by download. Um, uh, we we certainly appreciate it. You can subscribe to to uh, our Road to the Midterms 2018 on iTunes and SoundCloud. I hope you will do so. Um, and, uh, and otherwise, comments, criticisms of the moderator are always welcome. Presidential analysis at Cozen.com. Caitlin, Mark, thank you very much, and thanks, everybody, for listening. Thank you, Blake. Uh, we appreciate you joining us today. The recording will be available after the call at copublicstrategies.com as well on iTunes and SoundCloud by searching for Cozen O'Connor.